0: Hey, so um, you guys know I have some shoulder issues and really the worst thing about the shoulder issue out of everything is that if, if you know anything about Florida and Florida fishing, you know that between uh, Christmas and New Year's, we have, a, we have mullet that are about this big. We always have big mullet, but they come in and they're full of rows. anybody know what roe is? all right good it's 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 fish eggs all right but in in a mullet dude there's these sacks of it's redneck caviar and I look forward to it every year. Oh my goodness. I'll eat mullet, I love smoked mullet, but man, roast season, if I don't throw a net all year long, I wanna throw a net then, and I wanna net some mullet, and I wanna get the caviar, the egg sacks out of it, and I wanna cook them up, and I wanna eat them, scramble them up with some eggs, man, whatever you can do. I just eat them right off the grill. Chrissy, that's what I did last night, I just ate one right off the grill, man, it was awesome. and so. I love the row, but so the worst thing about this injury, I can't throw a net, especially a big net, which is what you want to do for these big fish with big weights so it'll sink down, and I was like, man, I'm going to miss row season. I'm suffering for Jesus. I will suffer, Lord, and and handle this physical persecution. I'm being facetious in that. There's more that came out of that, but so I was kind of bummed. I wasn't getting any row, but Wednesday, Christy calls, and She's like, Christy, 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 which one? You're Christy, yes. We have all kinds of, but I've only known you for a while, but uh, she called like, hey, Zane like got a cooler full of mullet. He's cleaned one, cleaned another, and man, he's, uh, he's, he can't clean anymore. His legs bother. do you want some? I'm like, yes! <laughs> and so, Wednesday night, she brought me, I'm glad you gave me your best cooler. That's a nasty cooler, man, but I cleaned it up for you a little bit. Do you notice when I gave it back? I'm that way, better than what you, what you gave it to me as, but I try at least. But anyways, man, 29 beautiful mullet, just nice, big mullet. I counted them, man, and when I was putting them in ice, when I was cleaning them, everything. So uh, 29 beautiful, gorgeous mullet. I had them packed in ice, and I couldn't do anything until yesterday because it's an all-day project kind of type thing to do this right. So I had my table set up, had my big bowl, stainless steel bowl full of ice water that I was going to throw all the roe and all the fillets in. And everything. Uh, had water hose, had, had the cooler, had my knives, had my sharpening, you know, stick, everything I needed. And I got the process going. Had scissors where I take them and I cut them straight up. And so I can like, don't nick the rope sack, man. You just don't want to have eggs leaking out of that yellow rope sack, man. And so I'm delicately, like a surgeon, cutting straight up and pulling out, then refining it and pulling it out and then carefully putting them in. I mean, this is a time-consuming process. Then I'm filleting them and I'm actually skinning them, putting them in there. And I have to do all of this outside. You know I have to do all this outside? You're like, cause you make a mess inside, but not really, I'm pretty good at this, I can do it, but my wife cannot stand the smell of fish. Neither can Ashley, her and my wife, they don't like fish. Emily, she'll eat some smoked mullet with me. My son, Matt, he'll eat, man, we'll eat anything. But Ashley and mom do not like the smell of fish. Is there anybody here that you are that way and you'll say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with them. I do not like the smell of fish. Okay, I'm not going to make fun of you and say there's anything wrong with you because, you know, obviously I'd have to say you made bad choices, and that would not be, and that would not be a good thing since my wife chose me. I'd be one of those, all right? So I'm going to let it go. But, but the fact is that some people, the fish smell is just like, oh, and, and they can smell any little inkling of it. So I clean all this, and I got it all cleaned with bleach, my cooler, like we do with hogs and everything, get bleed, everything all bleached out, so there's no residue left. And and I go back there, and I'm smoking this mullet. Oh my goodness! I, I, I my hammock was out there on the back porch, and I got two little smokers going, and a barbecue grill full of all the redneck caviar, and that smoke was just. Oh, I can't even describe a word. It was just going over my olfactory senses as I was laying in a hammock. It just whisked by me. It was just, it was beautiful, Terry. There should make a smoked mullet deodorant, dude. I'm just saying. It was one of the best smells in the entire world. And, And I'm smelling that smoke going, and to me, it smelled beautiful. But to my wife, I see the fan going. I think if some of it might have been seeping in the house. I think <laughs> some of that smell. And and and, and to her is like. <laughs> you know, she, is that what y'all do? Y'all have like dry hurdles and you know, like oh, you know, I gotta get away. She lit candles, different things, all going on. And but to me, it was the most beautiful smell in the world. And I laid out there. I finally got it all. And uh, Emily, you got home right about the time that I had piled all these nice, beautiful fillets with my jerk season and, and 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 Australian pine smoke all over it. And I brought a whole plate of it in on a dry on a cooling rack and put it in the house. Now my wife, she was a good sport. She didn't kill me. (laughs) And and I took the egg sacks and I I actually had those. And then uh, later, I actually took those egg sacks and I put them in a Ziploc baggie, dipped them in water, rolled it up airtight, airtight, cleaned it off, put it in the refrigerator. Um, Anybody see problems coming with that? (laughs) I couldn't smell it, dude. Dude, it was good. My wife opens the fridge and says, there's fish in here. She could smell a little inkling. I don't know if it was from my fingerprints, from my whatever. But someone who's not a fish person, they can smell it. And as I'm kind now I'm not saying anything bad about my wife or my daughter. Please don't take it as that. They just don't like the smell of fish. And as I use this as an illustration, Please don't think I'm equating my wife with the Antichrist or with, you know, <laughs> unsaved people or anything like that. I don't mean anything along those lines. But, but literally, I started thinking as I was going over the message and I was really just kind of listening to God. God reminded me, he said, as Christians, we are fish. We are fish and we live in a chicken world. You get that? We're fish and we live in a chicken And he's like, what are you talking about? We are fish. And li- now, for those of you that don't like fish, man, what's the first smell you can smell? Fish. You smell fish because you want chicken. Just, I know I can cook some chicken too, but I'm just saying you you want some just bland, white meat chicken that, in fact, even if you go fishing, you want to catch fish that tastes like what? Chicken! chicken. You'll spend millions of dollars on a boat and equipment to catch a fish that tastes like 99 cent a pound chicken. Just so you can do it in that right Chris? You build them all the time, right? That's what they're trying to catch. Fish that tastes like chicken. Dude, I want some fish that tastes like fish. That's why I eat mullet. All right. We jack, don't we, Christy? Man, we eat that greasy, oily, bloody fish. Man, I don't eat lady fish. All right. But I'm just saying I like it all. But we are fish as Christians. We are fish living in a chicken world. And that's why persecution comes. Now, there's more there's times where the world's a little more tolerant of the fish smell coming off of Christians. But as the fish smell gets stronger and stronger, the people that don't like the fish smell don't want to smell your fish. Jesus was a great example of that. Jesus, Jesus smelled like Jesus, right? In his actions and in his thoughts and in his words, every you can't get more Jesus than Jesus. And if and if we're fish, Christians are fish. Man, Jesus was like a ladyfish. (laughs) Anybody know about ladyfish? Anybody ever catch catch a ladyfish? Do you even want to get a ladyfish in your net? Why? Why, Scott, why don't you want a ladyfish in your (laughs) net? Yeah, and there's, well, yeah, it's fish poo. It's more fish. It's going to have a slime on them. Dude, Jack, you ever get ladyfish slime on you? Yeah, the, oh, the sail catch. Yeah, you get that all. It, yeah, it's like placenta. You can't get it. It's like whoa, okay, trying to get that stuff. It's the fishiest, slimiest, fishiest stuff you can imagine on you. And even listen to this. Listen to this in this analogy. Even some fishermen don't like to be that fishy. So what I'm trying to say is the more we be the more fishy we get, the more we smell like Christ, the more the world that likes chicken doesn't like us. That's why persecution comes. And even in the church, if we're gonna be a smelly ladyfish, the goal is to smell like fish through our actions, through our words, through our activities, through our lifestyle. If the goal is to be like fish, I'm sorry, Nate, you're a vegan. I'm totally messing you up, man. Everything you do to hold it down, right? Good thing you good thing you didn't eat a lot of tofu this morning. I'm just saying. For record. But and I'm not wrecking cracking on you either, man. That's good. But man, the more. We do in life to smell like fish, to smell like Christ. The more the world that doesn't like fish or doesn't like Christ is going to want to be separated from us. Imagine if I started a cleaning station in my house. My wife got home. My, she was gone. She went shopping, went somewhere, and she got home, and I had the whole kitchen set up to clean all the mullet. <laughs> Christy, what would my marriage be like right now? It would be rough, real rough. And then I got it down in the garbage disposal and, you know, filled ice cube trays. I mean, the goal's like, we don't have ice cube trays, but I'm just saying, man, again, we're fish that live in a chicken world. And even within the church, people draw the line how much you're going to smell like fish. That's what lukewarmness is called. Dude, you can smell like, you can smell like a pompano they go with smelling like pompano, man? They're kind of delicate, right? You smell like, you smell like a snug, right? Ooh, that big, thick, deep filet, man, it's beautiful. But Gary, what'd you give me, and by the way, I didn't filet that, I didn't smoke that yet. What did you give me a couple weeks weeks, last week? Bluefish. Some bluefish, you like, you want, you want some bluefish? <laughs> like, that really smells like fish and tastes like, not compared to mullet, <laughs> or jack, but, or ladyfish. You know, we all draw our lines somewhere, even in our spirituality. How much do you really want to smell like Christ? How many of y'all want to be the Christian equivalent of a ladyfish? Anybody? Come on. Okay. Some of y'all have a hard time raising your hand on that. You're like, I don't know if I want to go that far. Mullet is bait. We don't eat bait. We, yeah, dude, you eat some of my smoked mullet and you'll be a believer if, if you like fish. But again, <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that God was just showing me. And I'm not to say my wife's on spiritual anything along, Ashley, because they don't like fish, or you because you don't like fish. I'm using illustration to say, man, Christ was the ultimate fishy fish. He was the fishiest fish there was. If fish, being a fish, was Christian. He was the ultimate. And what did the world do to him? The more, at first they thought he was going to come in, kick Roman tail, rescue him, and then they would all be relieved, they could be The Jews would run the world and all their religion, everything. They'd be top dogs. And when they found out that wasn't going to happen, it's like, you know, this is starting to smell a little more like fish. This is starting to smell, dude, real fish. And so what do they do? They fried them. (laughs) They got rid of them. They trashed them. And that's what he said to us. He said, the more you smell like fish, the more this chicken world is not going to like you. And the lines are getting drawn, if you haven't noticed. They've been getting drawn. What we read in Timothy, what Paul wrote to Timothy, and we read that last week. He said, man, and, and when what Jesus even said in Matthew 24 and in and, and Luke 13, he said, they're like birth pains. These things that you see, man, they're going to get stronger and closer and closer. And Tim, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, man, people are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to love money more than this. They're going to have a form of religion with no power. He said, all these things are going to keep happening and they're going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. In other words, even the church is going to get more chicken like Anybody seen the church get more chicken-like? Yeah. yeah. Because what happens when you smell like a fish in a chicken world? Carolyn, what happens when you smell like a fish in a chicken world? Well, rejected. <laughs> the what? You Get rejected. Yeah. Yeah. Or they try to wrap you in a newspaper. Ooh, there's a prophecy for you. <laughs> try to wrap you in some media paper, man, and make it <laughs> cover up the smell. Dude, this might preach one day. <laughs> Glad God gave me illustration. But the fact is, is that it's coming more and more. The more you smell like Christ, the more the people that don't like Christ are not going to like you. So what do you do? Do you stay in your mediocre lukewarmness and just kind of be like a pompano or a snook? Or do you go all out and become a ladyfish, man? You just become one big old nasty roe mullet, man. Here, you want some (laughs) roe? You know what I'm saying? That's what he's asked the church to do. So what are you going to be? That's what, I, well, I, I, that's what the title of all this, what are you going to be when the big one hits? When, when the big persecution hits in your life personally, maybe as a country, maybe as a world, but the big persecution is going to hit at some point. Not where are you going to be? Oh, we're going to be hiding in a cave. We're I said, where? I said, what are you going to be when the big one hits? Because that's what Peter's writing about at the end of chapter four here. And um, so I want to read you something real super quick um, in this. Uh, John MacArthur, he's a well-known scholar, pretty conservative. He researches stuff very well, doesn't just put junk out, stuff that he thought up, whatever. But um, this is the context of 1 of Peter, of when it was. It, it basically what had happened is they were experiencing some persecution for some of their beliefs. You know, just like you, how many of you experienced some persecution for standing up like Christ? How many of y'all ever smelled like fish and they're saying, woo, get that out of here, you know, in your own personal life, right? We, we've experienced that. That's what was going on. But Peter was writing this saying, hey, in a moment, in a little while, dude, there's gonna be some big persecution. There's gonna be a big fiery trial coming up in your life, in the life of Christianity. And this is what started it. Listen to this. For nine days during the summer of eighty sixty four a huge fire raged in the city of rome the flames spread rapidly through the city's narrow streets and the many tightly bunched wooden tenements ordinarily crowded with residents because of his well-known desire to refurbish or rebuild rome by whatever means necessary the populace believed the emperor nero was responsible for starting the blaze isn't that interesting the, the people knew what was happening, but it was being spun so different out there among Nero's guys. You know, he took credit until he found out people didn't like it. And then he tried to change it. And which, by the way, if you go back and try to research this story on Google or I don't even care. Go. What's the other one? Duck, duck, go even research it there. The world's trying to rewrite history. Yes, in fact, I read some recently that it, they said, oh, there was not really all that persecution on Christians. We only get that information from Christians in the Bible. That's all we get it from. <laughs> It's like, well, duh. They're rewriting history, so even many people might uh, not agree with this account, but this is the account that has been passed on for generations, and it goes on and says that as the fire destroyed most of the city's districts, Nero watched gratefully, gleefully, from the tower of Messina's Roman, which, by the way, I think I'm saying that right. I actually, I actually, like, did a thing on you ever do on Google, like the little audio thing to see how to pronounce something. And what I found out was even more important than how to pronounce it. You know what it means? It means grateful, uh, blessings. It means So from the tower where he thinks he's giving blessings and watching the city burn, people had other ideas, but in his mind, he thought the only way to rebuild things is destroy what we've already got. And so it says from this tower, Roman troops even prevented people from extinguishing the fire and they started new fires. The disaster thoroughly demoralized the Romans because many lost nearly all their earthly goods and found their civic pride scorched as well. With public resentment towards him at a high level, Nero diverted the focus away from himself and made the Christian community the scapegoat for the fire. Nero's ploy was a clever one because Christians in the Roman Empire were already the unjust targets of much hated slander. So there was already a little bit of persecution, but not nearly what was coming. And that's what Peter's writing about. He said, you guys are being persecuted, but get ready for the big one. And he's going to tell us why we should be grateful and why we should have joy in all of that. And how to get out of it what God wants. Because right now, this doesn't sound very good. I mean, how many are like, dang, I came to church church hear this, <laughs> you know? But listen, this is good, especially once we get into scripture. But they already started hating Christians unbelievers falsely reported that Christians consumed human flesh and blood based on what was written about the Lord's Supper. They they thought that they were, that was a sort of rumor that was being spread. Dude, you guys had communion, that small group? Who'd you sacrifice? You guys ate blood or ate flesh and drank blood? That's what they said, you know? They also talked about the uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Holy Kiss was actually a sign of uncontrolled lust. In addition, the Romans viewed Christianity as a sect of Judaism. And there was already some increased anti-Semitism going on in those days. So on one hand, they were being compared to the Jews, which people hated Jews, were now persecuting. But the other hand, Rome saw, you guys are not Jews. You guys are a whole other sect, and you are illegal. Because Judaism was a legal religion, but Christianity was not. So with the... In, um, uh, with the increase of anti Semitism and all of that unpopularity of those days, the populace easy adopt, easily adopted the anti Christian attitude as well. Christianity had also caused stress within families when one spouse, particular woman, believed, but the other did not. That generated further resentment towards the saints. Following the burning of Rome, Nero, Nero capitalized on that anti Christian sentiment. And punish the Christians by using them, listen to this, as human torches to light his garden parties, listen to this, by allowing them to be sown inside animal skins to be devoured by predatory animals, and by crucifying them and subjecting them to other heinous unjust tortures. The Apostle Peter likely wrote this letter we're studying now, we've been studying for the last few weeks or so. He likely wrote this letter just before Nero's persecution began. So as discussed earlier, Peter's re- major reoccurring theme is how his readers should respond to unjust suffering. If and when we experience more or it stays the same. We have How many of y'all have experienced unjust suffering the more you smell like a fish in a chicken world? Yeah, and you will. Lines are drawn. But he tells us in that, um how to, uh, how to respond in this suffering. Today, hostility, and this was written many years ago by John MacArthur. Today, hostility towards Christians who speak out against the culture sins and in defense of the exclusivity of the gospel, meaning Jesus is the only way. You guys know that? He is the only way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through who? Yeah. yeah, wait to see how popular that's gonna be. And it already is. You guys, I told you before, you can talk about God and stuff and bring God up with your co-workers. God up, God up. Bring God up. People are okay with that because they got a picture of God. You start getting exclusive and bringing the name of Jesus up. You bring I dare you. Bring the name of Jesus. Bring it up in love. And you will see the persecution coming it's because it's in that name. No other person. No, nobody can be saved. And it's that name that's offensive. It's, it's exclusive. Amen, so he goes on to say, um, today, hostility towards Christians who speak out against the culture sins and in defense of the exclusivity of the gospel, is on the rise. Therefore, endure the present hostility as well as what might come in the future. To do that, believers need to heed the passage Is instructions on enduring these trials. And that's where we're at in this section right now. He's he's saying that it's going to come. At some point, if you smell like fish, what are we supposed to smell like? Fish. If you smell like fish in a chicken world, there's gonna be part of persecution. God gets a hold of you and you have revival in your life and you now want to smell like a ladyfish, there's people that are not going to like that. We preached on that a couple of weeks ago in Peter. How all of a sudden, if you're in a place, you're you're in a place, it might even be your condo. And all of a sudden you take a stand for Christ and then you don't want to do things with people. That's what Peter talked about two weeks ago. You want to not do these things with these people for this reason because you don't like what's going on. You can't participate and you tell them, hey, let's do more wholesome things. They will now malign you, slander you, go against you. And it's only going to get worse. He said it's coming. It's in your life already, but it's coming and it's coming even stronger. And I don't know about you. But we look at that, and it can make us scared. Amen. It can make us terrified. It can make us like, golly, this is no fun. But instead, God has allowed everything in our life for our good and his glory. Amen. Everything that comes in our life is there to make us look more like who? Amen. Him. How many of y'all look just— Has anybody raise their hand? and say, I look just like Christ? <laughs> no. Positionally, you do. But practically speaking, how many of y'all believe God's got a little work to do on you? Amen. Yeah. And you know how he does that work? He takes a chisel and a hammer. And that's in the form often of persecution. He tests your faith. He tries it to show you where you're at. And he bangs away and chisels. And it's not to destroy you. It's to make you more beautiful. And if we forget that, we miss the whole point and, and we don't get the result for which he has done this. So he's going to tell us. Where, my question again is, where, what are you going to be? What are you going to be when the big thing hits, and it might just be something in your family, might be something in our country, might be in the world. What are you going to be? And the first thing Peter tells us in this passage is be what? Ready. Be ready. And no more. Dang, I never expected that. I'm going to tell you if you don't, uh, uh, if you're not expecting this persecution, if you're not expect expecting that when you smell more like fish, the world's going to turn against you. If you're not expecting that, I'm telling you right now to expect it. Destiny, is kind of crazy. You're having a baby. We've had this conversation with Ashley, with Alana. Why am I bringing a baby in at this time? You know why you're bringing a baby? Why are you bringing a baby in right now? Because God wants that baby in here right now. That's God's baby. God's just given it to you to manage, to raise, to, to raise up as him. What a great responsibility, Jack. Dude, and he's counting on you to be the leader in all of that. God gave you that baby, and God determined that baby's birthday. What a special time to be alive. And again, like we talked about last week, in all of this junk that's going on that we see, you know, Jesus said, it's going to get so bad. You're going to think, I have to come back, and then all of a sudden, there's going to be peace and safety. And then it's going to get so bad, you think I have to come back, and there's going to be peace and safety. He said, during one of those peace and safety, when you think the world's all back to order, he said, I'm coming like a thief in a night. In the meantime, our job hasn't changed. And during these tough times, our job's gotten easier, hasn't it, Bob? It's gotten easier because the greatest darkness can't hide the tiniest light, so you just walk around as light. But if we don't forget what our job is, our job's gotten easier because our job's to make disciples. And if we don't focus on anything else but making disciples, dude, our job's gotten so much easier because God's taken all the other gods in this world away. And we are here to show them the real God that can never be taken away. So he says, first of all, he says, be ready. Man, be ready. Don't be surprised. Don't in your la-la Pollyanna world. Pollyanna. But know who Pollyanna was? Yeah, you remember that? Back in the day, if you have never read Pollyanna or watched it, watch it. It will make you gag. I'm just saying. But it was Pollyanna it was, everything is great. You know, and, and I'm all for seeing a positive perspective. That's who I am. I'm the eternal optimist. But be ready. Know this can happen. And I'm eternally optimistic knowing this is going to be good. Because God's got me covered. God's got that baby covered. God's going to anoint that baby, man. There's, there's stuff God wants to do now that he couldn't do during peaceful, easy times. You know? So he goes on and says, beloved. What does beloved mean? Christy, you ever go to saying beloved. Have you ever done that? <laughs> you never said, beloved, try it. He might pass out and die, but if you were to go beloved, if you called somebody beloved, it means you what? love them. Guess what? So Paul, Peter's Peter's telling them this because he loves them. He's like beloved, and it really does have the root of agape in it. So it's a God love. You know, the ones I love because God's given me the ability to love. He said, "Do not be what." Yeah, God's not going to pull a surprise party on us, right? Surprise! There's persecution. No, that's not it. He said, guys, I want you to know it's coming at every generation. At every generation. But the closer we come to the end, which none of us know when it is. We just know we're closer than yesterday and last week, right? That's all we know. But we know it's going to get worse as time goes on. But that doesn't mean our life gets worse. Our life has a potential to be better because of it, because we become more like him. So he said, don't be surprised. It's not like you walk in the door, and, surprise. You've at a surprise party before, right? Like, oh, I didn't know that was happening. He said, don't be surprised that the fiery trial, fiery. Dude, anybody ever burn yourself? You ever burn yourself, dude? Oh my goodness, man. And, and what's for, what's one word you would describe, one word you'd use to describe burning? Pain. Who said hot? You said hot? Yeah. Who said hot? Yeah. <laughs> hot? Okay, hot? Yeah. Because <laughs> Ryan's like, it's hot. Ugh. That's what they say with people. <laughs> people with leprosy, that's the problem. They're like, oh, I can't feel the heat. So, oh, I smell flesh. Oh, yeah. Uh, most people, Ryan, they feel that hot and they're like, ow, that's painful, right? And I'm sure you feel pain. You just have a higher tolerance. And we're going to go with that. <laughs> but, But, yeah. T- uh, it's, it's painful. He describes it as this. He says, man, at the fiery trial, there's going to be a trial, and there's going to be pain involved. How many of you are like, yeah, buddy, sign me up, Terry? You're like, where do I sign on the dotted line for that one? Dude, that's why I moved to the beach on the other side of the bridge in the island to get away from all of this, <laughs> right? That's the idea. That's why most of y'all are down here. Because, man, y'all want pain? Get old, retire, and move up north, dude. Cold hurts. <laughs> But he says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. God has a trial coming. Don't be surprised. It's going to be behind door number one, door number two, and door number It's going to be there. Don't be like, oh, why did God do this? That's not what church told me. That's not what modern theology told me. That's not what, that's not what they're preaching. That's not what, what this guy on TV. No, it's not. This is what the word of God says right here. There's no other way to look at this. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial, which is painful, when it comes upon you. When, not if. Did you get that? He said when. And again, God can turn it into the most beautiful thing ever. Because listen, what if you had a bunch of straw and you had a bunch of gold? Chris, what if you had some straw, a pile of straw and a pile of gold, and you set them, hooked them up both with a blowtorch, right? A diesel-powered blowtorch. you got to invent one of those, man. I keep thinking, Terry, in my mind. That might be the next thing for you to come. And it just pushes. It, you hit it with, you hit straw. What happens, bro? It, and it burns up, right? What happens if you hit gold? It melts. And, and what happens to the gold? Dude, it gets more beautiful. It gets more pure. It gets softer. But it's the same fire. Amen? So it's up to you whether you want to be straw or gold. It's up to you, as a believer even, which way you want to look at it, what you want to happen. How many of y'all ever had had intense pressure and intense heat in your marriage? This morning. No, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday, the day before, in the last year, anybody have intense pressure in their family? Yeah. It's there by God's design to make your... Relationship more beautiful with people, not to destroy it. But if you want to treat yourself like you want to treat yourself like hay or like straw, man, you know that's it. But if you understand you're a believer and that you are as close to hell as you're ever going to get, you understand that life only gets better. You know you haven't seen the best. You you get the best later, man. You want to see it from God's perspective, man. That. Fire that fiery trial he's talking about makes you more beautiful. How many of you have ever grown through what most people would consider a horrible experience? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. I grow through blessings, but not as good. Sitting on the couch eating spiritual bonbons, and you know, I'm good, Terry. Sometimes, but you know, at first I'm like, Oh God, thank you for the peace, thank you for the quality. and and then what happens? I, I yeah, I got this, God. I got this, God. But, man, you can have one heck of a prayer meeting in the belly of a whale. Some dude named Jonah said that, I think. But when it comes upon you, look what it is. It's to test you. How many of y'all are teachers in any one way, shape, or form? Oh, you're a teacher, right? Hey, Jordan, why do you test kids? To see how they're coming along. Yeah, to see how they're coming along, right? Okay, it's not punishment, contrary to what I thought for 22 grades. Tests were straight from the pit of hell to make my life miserable because I had to study the, the, either that morning or the night before to pass. You know, had to cram. Uh, I, I didn't understand there to show me where I'm at with all of this. <laughs> so let me ask you a question Why does God test us? Yeah, and is it Him that needs to know how we're doing? Or is it us that needs to know how we're doing? Yeah. And it's not till you put, you, you put hey, you got 10-pound fish in line. How do you really know whether it'll hold 10 pounds or not? Yeah, put 10 pounds of pressure on it. It's not until it's t- Faith that's not tested can't be trusted. So he goes on and says, man, don't be surprised at this fiery trial. It's painful. It's going to be painful. It can be when it comes upon you, not if but when. And it's there to test you. To show if you got a little more straw, a little more gold. It's to test your faith, to show where it's really at. Your relationship with him. He said, don't think as though it is something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised and don't think it's strange. So, so it's a matter not of if, it's when. He says it's going to come, but we've got to understand the purpose. And the purpose is what again? Yeah, to make you more like Christ. The purpose is to show how far you've come, how much you are like gold and how much you're like straw, how you see life from God's perspective. That's why we've got to come together so we can help each other see life from God's perspective. So the first thing is, he said, be ready. But look at the next thing. This is really weird. It's like James. James said, what? Count it all joy when you do what? You remember his Mac what? Count out all joy when you have different kinds of trials and temptations. When Pastor Eddie comes and throws a chair and hits you in the face with a chair. I'm not going to do it, but if you were to do that, count it all what? Joy. joy. If I stomp on your bare toe, count it all. Joy. Yeah. Okay. Now, I know I'm being facetious, but that's what he says. Count it all What? Everything counted joy. Why? Because he says it's testing your faith. It's making your faith stronger. It's like working out. He's your personal trainer. And when you're done working out, you're going to be what? Stronger. Yeah. Honestly, I learned a word. I, I knew it, but I never paid much attention. What's that word? Atrophy. Yeah. Atrophy, where your muscles get so weak that it actually hurts your body. I really believe that's what happened to my shoulder. I had been paddling. And so once that Bunk got me moving, I got out there paddling the first day and I was like, woo, yeah, and it didn't hurt. And each day as I'm building my shoulder back up, it's getting stronger and I can do more things. Look, dude, I could not hold my backpack last week like that. The first week it happened, I'm using my fingertips to lift it off the armrest on my (laughs) F-150. Now I can lift it up by myself, but it takes getting stronger. That's the purpose. So he said, be ready. But he's saying, dude, rejoice. Rejoice in this. If you were really, really out of shape and all of a sudden you got hooked up with the very best personal trainer, he said, rejoice. It's gonna be some rough times, but they're gonna get you in shape if they can guarantee. How many of y'all even ever bought a video or a piece of exercise equipment off an infomercial, something, and then you found out you had to actually use it to get results? Oh, my good app trainer, dude. You mean I got to get on this and do these? <laughs> and, and, but that's the idea. They sell you and they say, wow, if you do this and you do this, within six weeks, within three weeks, you'll look like this. Six weeks like this. And you're like, yeah, that's what I want to be. I want a six pack, but I also want tacos. <laughs> so there's got to be a choice in this. And that's where we're at spiritually. So he's saying you got a world-class trainer. That is, that is taking you under his wing, he said, rejoice. When he's there, lift some more. Hey, who was that one lady who was really rough? Remember, wasn't there a show where people went, oh, I'm really big. The Greatest Losers. What was that show, Emily? What's that? The Biggest Loser. Remember, these guys used to always watch that? And they'd bring on these giant people and they would shrink down and all that. And what was that lady who was rough? She went, Get up, you loser. Keep going, you know. <laughs> yeah, Julie Michael. yeah. Dude, there were some trainers that were tough. But they got the results. You have the most loving, tough, personal trainer in the universe, which is God. So he says, rejoice that he's taken you under his wing, that he saved you. Look at this. Peter says in the middle of all this trial, he says, but rejoice. "Rejoice." You're like, yeah, easy for you to say, right? And in fact, it's written in the Greek tense. It says, keep on rejoicing. In other words, if you just rejoice once in the morning, how long is that rejoicing going to last? (laughs) until the next time. Fernanda, you ever rejoice and wake up? Yes, I'm rejoicing. And then one thing happens and all of a sudden rejoicing is starting to wane. And they're like, okay, I'm going to rejoice. And then it wanes more and more at the end of the day. I quit. (laughs) Now, we ever feel that way? He says, keep rejoicing. That's your job. Keep rejoicing because you know the end result. Keep on rejoicing. Look at this. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad. So the amount that you are going to enjoy or rejoice at the suffering or uh, you're going to share in Christ's sufferings and rejoice in the end to the amount you're going to do that is directly related to how much you are going to rejoice now. You don't rejoice in the trials he gives you. Guess what? There's not a lot of rejoicing later. That's what he says. But listen, I'll take all the parentheses out. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice, be glad, be glad. When his glory is revealed. So the more you rejoice at suffering now, the more rejoicing there will be later. In other words, we're coming, you're coming marching back in with Christ. He's like, Yeah, these are my boys right here. They suffered right along with me. Like, yes, I know of his. And then there's other people behind, well, I didn't want to suffer. I didn't want to sweat. You're happy, you're in heaven, but dude, you identify with Christ as you suffer. Him. That's what he says. Rejoice, keep on rejoicing. That's what this word in so far as means. It means to the degree that you rejoice in the suffering now. You get the point out of the suffering, and you will get the pleasure out of it later. It's a thing called postponed pleasure. There is no facet of life where you don't have postponed pleasure. Why do you put up with junk from a boss? Postponed pleasure, because if I put up with it, put up, maybe I'll get a promotion. Maybe I don't get a promotion, but I get a paycheck. There's postponed pleasure. Why do you work out with a trainer? Because because you like sweating and you like hurting. You like going home and having to ice every part of your body. Maybe you do. You're masochistic. But the fact <laughs> is, is later there is postponed pleasure when you be like, show everybody your picture on Instagram. You know, I'm just saying there's postponed pleasure in everything, right? almost everything and he said it's the same way in your Christian walk postpone pleasure look at this uh, John 16 20 you can look this up later I think it's 20 to 22 Jesus said it's like a woman delivering a baby now we're not trying to scare you destiny have you heard this hurts okay all right I'll just make sure you heard. and I'm like oh, it hurts what we pray for that oh no, yeah it's like no it, it hurts that was even what God said you know? So how many of you have ever had a baby and personally experienced that hurt? Okay, good, good. I cannot do that. Close I've come is a guy with a cold, all right? But that's another story. But, but women who have actually had gone into labor, there's postponed pleasure. How many have you have gone through the labor pains and while you're in the middle of them, you know, your husband's there watching the machine saying there's another labor pain. You're like, yeah, yeah. Let it come harder. Oh, give me what you got. Any of y'all? Now, I bet there's at least one in here. <laughs> Plane, trains, automobiles. <laughs> the one. Uh, anybody watch that movie? I'm not recommending it, but there's a bad one. Bad scene, by there. Like, she she had her last baby, and it came out sideways, and she didn't even scream. <laughs> I'm just saying. There's at least one of y'all in there like that. All right. But i just. But but the deal is, labor hurts. It hurts. And, and, and what keeps you going? Ashley, what keeps you going? Why do you keep pushing? Because at the end, there's gonna be what? The greatest joy, Ashley, when you had Alana, and they took her, I mean, yeah, they cut the umbilical cord, wiped her, she didn't look like a guava cream cheese paste, you know, they gave her to you and wrapped her up. Man, what was, the expi- what was the emotion you had when you had my granddaughter in your arms? Happiness, pleasure. One, it might have been immediately the happiness and pleasure that I don't have to push anymore. Anybody identify with that? We're happy when it's over, but we're happy if the end result of it, that's postponed pleasure. And Jesus uses that to describe suffering, to describe our life on this planet as we do what he wants us to do. He said, whatever you do is going to be well rewarded in heaven. There will be postponed pleasure. Paul looked at his thorn on the cross that exact same way. Go read about it, Paul's thorn. He said, Yeah, dude, I got to experience God's glory in a way I'd have never experienced it, and God's power in a way I would have never experienced it without the thorn. How about the cross? You want to talk about postponed pleasure? Think Christ had a blast when he was being beat beyond recognition? Think he had a blast when his all his friends dissed him the night before and were arguing about some irrelevant thing? Do you think he had a blast? When he's being spit on, he's being beaten by Romans. Think he had a blast when he was stripped naked and thrown in the locker room of the Roman soldiers. I think Jesus was like, "Oh yes, yeah." No, it was postponed pleasure because he wanted to please the Father and he wanted to save us because he loved us. Postponed pleasure, but see, our society is not teaching that. Yeah. In fact, our, our, our postponement, would you say that our, our willingness to have our pleasure postponed is getting longer or shorter? shorter? Yeah, it's getting shorter. But he says, hang in there. He said, rejoice. Look what he says. He's talking about suffering. He says, two times already rejoice, but rejoice. Keep on rejoicing as far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also uh, rejoice. Again, he says, and be glad. When his glory is revealed. In other words, when Christ comes back, how many of y'all are going to be marching in with him? How many of y'all are going to be like, yeah, that's my boy. (laughs) Yeah, I worship him. I'm on that side. How many of y'all are going to be so stoked to be marching with him and identifying with him? He said the more you identify with him now through this suffering, the more you you will be identifying with him later. That's what that verse says. Go pull it apart any way you want, but that's the idea. You don't want to identify with him now, it's like you're not gonna get as much out of that. Now, will you be sad and hate heaven? No, not at all. But he's just saying, dude, the more you identify with him now and the suffering, the more you'll be able to identify with him then. And so he says, man, he goes on, he says, at first he said, be ready, um, because it's coming. Um, Sorry, JJ, be ready. He then tells us to be rejoicing. So, Rejoice when that comes because you have an awesome personal trainer looking to make you more like him. So next he says, be comforted. This is pretty cool that Peter tells us. Hey, who is the comforter? The Holy Spirit. So, so guess what? Who comes to your rescue? Who comes and brings you comfort when you're uncomfortable? The Holy Spirit. So he's saying, be rejoicing, but understand, don't miss it. The Holy Spirit's walking right alongside you and wants to comfort you right in the middle of your trials. Look at this, what it says. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, if you're maligned, if you're torn down because of the name, if you're persecuted, he said, you are what? Blessed. Man, don't you guys need a Bible to tell you that? How many of y'all say, yeah, my flesh tells me that all the time. I'm insulted. I'm blessed. It just goes together, doesn't it? Insulted and blessed. Insulted and blessed. But that's why the Bible, God's got to show us this in his word. And living for him, this goes together. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now, here's why he says we're blessed, Gary, because the spirit of glory and of God, the spirit of glory, the spirit of God. Who's the spirit of God? The Holy Spirit of God rests upon you in your time of need, in persecution. The Holy Spirit will be there to give you grace that you don't have any other time. Hey, remember when Columbine all happened and the question when I was a youth pastor, like, well, so if somebody came and stuck a gun to your head and said, denounce the name of Christ or I'll blow you away, what would you do? And everybody goes, well, you know, we don't know what we would do. We hope we would do the right thing. But the desire and ability to do the right thing is grace. And we don't get that grace until we actually need it. But if we're walking with him and his Holy Spirit we are listening to His Holy Spirit, and as opposed to fear in the flesh, what are we going to do? Yeah, take me home. Take me home, no big deal. You don't know what you're going to do because you don't need that grace yet. But when you need grace for any trial that you're going through, He will give that to you. How many of you have ever received special grace? During a situation, you have been in some situation where you were not going to make it unless God showed up. How many of y'all received that? You have, Susan? Yeah. Boston, same thing. Who else? Just so some people who don't believe. Raise your hand high so people who don't believe will see and say, wow, dude, I need some of that. Yeah. When you need it, he'll provide it. Why would He provide it before you need it? Dude, don't you have enough going on already? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I'm giving you some grace so that when they put a gun to your head that you're gonna say, Yeah, go ahead, take, you know, make my day. <laughs> oh, that was clean but sorry. But make my day, take me home. Uh, whatever. But what if you had that in your head a year before it was before you needed it? <laughs> Would that change? I ain't coming out of the house today. <laughs> I have this special grace that if a gun gets pointed at my head, I'm gonna say, okay, go ahead. And you're like thinking, I got a vision. Now, he does do that sometimes. In fact, this dude, Polycarp, before he was burned at the stake, he had a dream knowing, and he told his parishioners that he was going to be burned at the stake, which actually happened. And he didn't even die from being burned at the stake. They had to spear him. Polycarp, that's not a plastic goldfish. But Polycarp, go read about Polycarp, man. There's a lot of things about him. But the dude was a bishop in the city of Smyrna. Smyrna comes from the root word myrrh, which was a, a, a root that was so potent that they put it on roadkill and embalmed bodies with it. But in order to get the smell out, guess what had to happen first? It had to be crushed. You had this root. You were like, oh, yeah, this, this ain't going to work. You crush it. You're like, woo! the smell came out. That's what Smyrna means. And he was a bishop in Smyrna and it was at a time when the roman emperors were gods and every year even christians had to take a pinch of just a pinch of incense let me ask you a question to keep your job to keep your house to keep your place in society to keep peace all you had to do was take a pinch of incense just a pinch and you had to go to the shrine or whatever it was for the emperor and say caesar is lord that's all you had to do that's all Come on. That's all you had to do. Dude, just think if you would compromise that, how much you could like stay alive and represent Christ. You know, that's what some compromising Christians did, but most of them didn't. And they became martyrs. How? And that's what polycarp. They're saying, God, you're an old man. You're 89 years old, 86 years old. Come on. We don't want to kill you. We don't want to sew you into an animal and have you torn apart by being. We don't want to do that. Just... Just take a pinch and do it. It'll be over. We won't even come by to check you anymore. And Polycarp said, dude, in all these 80-something years of life, God has always been good to me. Why would I betray him now? Amen. And they're like, you stupid old man. They arrested him. They took him. And as he's riding in the cart, they shoved him out of the cart. Say, now will you do it? And he's like, no. And this 80-something, 90-year-old man is limping behind the cart. And they're giving them all the chances in the world. Chances are the thought is crossing your mind. I could still do good for God if I just sacrifice that little bit. It makes sense. But that goes against everything that God has called you to do. He, lost, he didn't do it. They went to go burn him. Go study this dude, Polycarp. Go study. Go read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Or later, DC Talk even came out with another Book of Martyrs and stuff. Go read what people have been through and how they've experienced Christ in a mighty, mighty way. They went to go burn them, and the guy's like, yeah, let's chain you up. He said, you don't got to chain me. Don't chain me. I'll promise I'll stay, (laughs) because you're just expediting my opportunity to go meet my Lord and Savior. To be able to say that, what is that G word you need that ends in A-C-E, R-A-C? What do you need? Grace. Grace. Do you need it right now? No, you just need a butt that'll stay awake till I'm done preaching. I'm just saying. But, but literally, you need grace to do whatever God's asking you to do. He gave Polycarp that grace, and guess what? Man, he stood there. He didn't even have to be changed. Some said they roped him, whatever, but I mean, as soon as fire starts, throw burns. And, and so he's burning. And some say, now again, there's a lot of speculation. Some say that, oh, the fire it surrounded him like a halo, and they say, it. What Terry, this is kind of cool. It didn't burn him like barbecue. It baked him like bread. <laughs> it didn't, you know, you would expect the fire would do it, but some of the accounts say that it was like fire around him, and he glowed. He glowed like bread being baked. That's the Shekinah glory if that's what went on. It was like the bigger the heat, the more God made him glow, and people were just like, what? And even non-believing pagans were like, something crazy's going on here. Now we don't know how much of that's urban legend and how much happened. We know he died. And he didn't die in the fire. They were like, What the heck? This guy's not dying. So they stabbed him and took him out. But even in that, he was giving God glory the same way Christ did. In order to be able to do that, you need grace. Gary, could you just wake up and do that on the spur of a moment? No, sir. no, you get mad when you lose a snook. <laughs> right? You say a few choice words and you use that snook. I've heard you. No, I haven't heard you, but I can imagine. But literally, you need grace to be able to do that. And where does that grace, who gives you that grace? God does through His Holy Spirit. And that's what He's saying. If you're insulted in the name of Christ, you're blessed because you've got an opportunity to experience something supernatural. Because the Spirit, the Comforter who gives you the fruit. Hey, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Anybody want to help me? What is it? No. Love. All of those. Yes. And your favorite one, self control. Yes, <laughs> yeah. The fruit of the Spirit gives you love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self control when you need it, but you don't get it unless you're in that trial. How many of y'all would rather have nothing ever happen and nothing ever happens. Or how many of you would rather be put in a position where you get to experience some pretty cool things with God? Amen. Yeah. Even the answer to that takes grace when God puts you in. So he says, because the spirit of glory. So the spirit of God is the spirit of glory. So what does he want to have happen in Carolina? What's the big G word? What does God want to accomplish in this trial? He wants you to bring him what? Glory. glory. The spirit of glory, the spirit of God rests on you. You remember Stephen? Go back to Acts and read the story of Stephen. He's preaching the gospel. and They're like, we're going to kill you. And he preaches even harder. Who gave him the ability to keep preaching? Wouldn't most common people quit when they're threatened? No, they would. But when you've got the spirit of God on you, you keep going. Man. Till the candlelight goes out, your last breath's going to be about Jesus, man. You keep going because the Holy Spirit. And when they started stoning him, he's literally being hit by rocks. Now, that's where some of us, how many of you say, all right, when the first rock hits, all right, I'm, I'm going to reassess my game plan. <laughs> Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, what did he do as he starts getting hit by rocks? Starts preaching harder, starts praising God. And you remember what he saw? He saw God on the throne opened up. And what did he say about the people who were throwing all these rocks at him? You remember that? Forgive them. Where did he get such a crazy idea? Who would have gave him such a desire and ability to do something as whacked as that? When most people our instinct, Mac, is to fight, they start throwing rocks, dude. I'm going to go tackle them and take their rocks and throw them at them. Where do you get such a crazy idea to let it happen and, and ask God to bless them? That only comes from the Holy Spirit of God. He said, man, rejoice. He said, man, you're blessed when you have this persecution because now God, if you don't miss it, God can show do something so supernatural that only he can get blamed. Next thing he says, he says, be careful, though. We're almost done here, sort of. Be careful. <laughs> Y'all have been here before, right? <laughs> he says, be careful, look at this. He says, but let none of you suffer. This is pretty interesting. I gotta say and I'm not gonna camp here a lot. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, right? So you murder somebody and you go to that, you know, you can sort of suffer, right? Murder somebody, right? All right, till death do us part. No, I'm just joking. But you suffer as a murderer, there's a problem. Or you suffer as a thief, there's a problem for persecution, right? Vicky? You steal stuff. You steal all your neighbor's lawn furniture. You know, you steal everything from around the pool at the condo because you're mad or whatever. You know, you stole it all and you burned it. Do you deserve to be, like, ostracized by the condo commandos? Yes. Any persecution, that come in, they persecuted me. And it's like, what'd you do? Well, I stole all the condo furniture and I burned it. Well, duh. <laughs> That's kind of, he says, man, and, and you didn't do that, right? All right. So if you suffers a murder or a thief or an evildoer, man, you deserve You know what you're getting. But look at this next one. As a meddler. You notice he puts meddling in right there with murdering and thief. Doesn't that seem kind of odd? Doesn't it just seem like an odd thing to throw in toward a tag in at the end? And listen, when you study this Greek word for meddler, here's what was happening. The government changed. It changed in a bad way. And it was getting worse with Nero. And Peter says, I don't want you to fight this battle in a carnal way. I don't want you to go blow up abortion clinics. I don't want you to, you know, the zealots that were around in Jesus' time, they carried Machaira swords and they would get behind soldiers and they would sneak up and they would stab them and then they would take off and they were doing evil things to overcome the government that was in there. They were sinning themselves. Judas was a a zealot. That's why I believe he kind of forced Jesus' hand or tried to force his hand by turning him in. He said, I don't want you to be that guy. He said, first of all, you can't do in your flesh what God can do. Kind of like what Zane was talking about. God's in charge. God puts people in, in office. God takes people out. He said, I don't want you to be that political activist. I don't want, listen to this carefully. Now listen to what I'm saying. He doesn't say compromise your Christianity. That's not what he says. If you're going to jail, if you're going to be persecuted If you're going to get arrested, if you're going to get killed, if you're going to be in the middle of riot, make sure it is because you've been doing what God wants you to do biblically. And they have now made being a Christian illegal. That's what he's saying. Don't go do illegal things and cause yourself more trouble. That's what Peter said. And that is what this political, what this word meddler means. Go look it up. It's talking about, he said, I don't want you guys to fight this battle. God's got this. And God may have everything exactly the way he wants it because he's more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. He may be more concerned about the character of this culture than he is the comfort of this culture. Because you're only here for a little bit of time. He may be more concerned about somebody's soul than he is your safety. Besides, what's worse they can do, kill you? Absent from the bodies present with the Lord. So he says, look, guys. He suffers murder. Don't let any of you suffer for doing the wrong thing. But I just thought it was really... That's why I studied that word meddler. I studied it because it's like, dude, meddler? How many of y'all are meddler? Come on. How many of y'all are meddled? Be honest, you little meddlers. Come on. How many of you ever meddled? Please, let me see your hand so it's not just me. I see her. Put your hand up and say, I have meddled. I have meddled. <laughs> and I repent from being a meddler. <laughs> yeah. Meddle. You're like you get in the middle of something. Some of us actually have gone through periods of life where we enjoy meddling and watching other people fight, right, Selma? I'm just saying, because we don't have anything better to think about, better to do. But it's like God it seems so insignificant compared to these other things. But it's not. Man, He puts it right there with murder, and He's talking about meddling in things. What did the Apostle Paul? He said. He said, you know what? When you're in the middle of a battle. Anybody here who was in the military? Raise your hand, you military, military people. Okay, uh, yeah. So, so Tim, and, and, and you were a Marine, right? I mean, when you were in a battle, dude, what'd you think about? Yeah, yeah alive, alive. So, so did you? Were you out there? Whatever y'all were doing, you know. Uh, and Marines, y'all did it all, man. You did tongue all these. Different, but in the middle of it, you're like, hmm, in the middle of gunfire in a heated battle. I wonder what chocolate cake would taste like now. I wonder if I were to put two eggs instead of one, would you be thinking about that in the middle of battle? No. no, because you might get blown up. You've got it. All your focus has to be on that battle. And that's what Paul said. He said, man, when you're in the middle of a battle, he said a soldier doesn't occupy his mind with civilian matters. So he says, don't do the same thing as a believer. Make sure our minds are focused on spiritual matters. On on growing the kingdom, making disciples, not the civilian matters. God's in charge and you take every step God wants you to take. You end up where God wants you to be. Anybody, I'm just going to throw this out here. Anybody see the movie or the documentary, Social Dilemma? Okay, anybody not see it? (laughs) I'm encouraging you right now to go see it. It's on Netflix, it's on whatever. But if you want to know how bad you are being played, on social media, on Google, on any of these are guys who were in charge of all this and they felt morally bankrupt, so morally bankrupt. They gave up these lucrative careers because they said there's no ethics in social media. It's so manipulative on all ends, not for one agenda, but for whoever's the highest bidder they manipulate. And these guys gave up careers. They were the ones who enjoy who invented the like button and different things. And it just got used for different things. You want to know how bad you're being played with the stuff you're reading, the stuff you're hearing and how artificial intelligence like, Oh, now you're getting out there. No, dude, you're playing chess with a daggone computer (laughs) that doesn't forget that restores all the information everywhere on everything. How many of y'all would say your mind's fairly equivalent to Scott? You're an analyst, dude. You got it. You got a pretty sharp mind, but would you, do you know much as artificial intelligence? Can you compete with artificial intelligence? If you were to go on a chess match with them, no, it'd kick your tail. Just because, and that's what you guys are being played by. That's what I'm being played by. Go watch it. It's not some spooky out there, whatever. These are guys, and they're saying, and based on this, well, how do you, what what difference have you made in your kid's lives? Well, this is some things we don't do now. (laughs) Because of how manipulative it all is. Don't let the world manipulate you into Civilian matters when we are in the middle of a spiritual battle. And that's the truth right there. I watched it. And you know what now is that? I'm not quitting Facebook. You know what? But everything I put on Facebook is going to lift up the name of Christ. It's something that I want you to watch. If they're going to use it for manipulation, then let them use it to manipulate people to know about Christ. I just got to be careful that I know what's going on there and what's not. And I can't let the world manipulate me and get me all excited about civilian matters that aren't gonna matter in eternity. I don't wanna be that manipulator there. Man, I wanna lift up the name of Christ. (laughs) Till my last candlelight goes out, I'm gonna speak the name of Jesus, man. Man, Man. man. And that's by His grace. And it just gave me more fervor to do that as I watched that. I sat there and looked and it was like, you gotta be kidding, I have been so played. I'm not feeling guilty or anything, it's motivated me to do, to be even stronger on lifting up the name of Christ. Next, he says, be proud. <laughs> hey, when you, when you get your butt beat, you remember getting a fight when they were a kid and you got beat up? Okay, anybody else? Yeah? Yeah, okay, Terry. You know what I used to tell people, oh, I never lost a fight. Well, you never fought. <laughs> I'm just saying, we grew up fighting, dude. Where I grew up in Pine Hills, you used whatever. You had a two by four there, and that gave you the advantage. You hit the dude with a two by four. Now, we didn't have nails in them, like that, but I'm just saying, Every fight, there's there's losers. Everybody loses kind of in it, but if you ever fight, you lose. You don't win every fight unless you're Muhammad Ali and he didn't even win every fight, I'm just saying. But how many of y'all ever got your tail whipped and you got up and you're like, yeah, I'm proud I got beat up. <laughs> hey dad, guess what happened today? Dude, I was fighting Billy Robinson. And he punched me in the face and knocked me out. I lost, yeah! Is that how you were? No, your parents were like, dude, what's wrong with you? I don't really wanna talk about it. <laughs> I'll never forget there was this kid, Billy Robson. He's dead now. I didn't kill him, but he's dead now. <laughs> I grew up with him, but before he died, I got to share the gospel with him. He came to church and the dude's in heaven right now. We grew up fighting, scrapping. He's the dude, and we were playing tree tag, man. We'd climb, have Billy crying out there and say, Billy, jump, do it for Jack Briscoe, because he was a big like wrestling fan back when it was real. I'm mean, he, he would jump, do it, and he would jump out, you know, and, and, and we'd get in a fight, and he'd lose a fight, and we're eating dinner, and all of a sudden, there's a knock on my door, and I'm like, oh, it's Billy, he's like, oh, I told my dad I got my butt beat by you, so I gotta, I gotta beat you up before I can go eat, that happened, now, what a sad thing, I'm like, Billy, you didn't win the first time, now you're injured, you're not gonna win the second time, go home, tell your dad what happened, but again, it's not something proud that when we get beat, We're not usually proud when we get defeated. We're not really proud when someone's pushing us down. We want to share the victories. Isn't that what social media is about? Yeah! I mean, if all everybody shares is all the downer stuff, dude, just unfriend them. I don't want to see that junk, right? But I'm just saying it's all about, you know, we're usually proud about all the victories. But he said be proud during a battle. Look at this. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be what? So if the whole world is persecuting you, you're getting the snot beat out of you by the world, but you're living for Christ. He says, don't be what? Ashamed. Yeah. Isn't that the world's trying to do to make you ashamed? Well, hey, so what, what, are you a Buddhist? Are you a, are you a, a, a new, you know, what a, no, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I'm a biblical. I'm a biblical Christian. Leave me alone. Yeah. That's the last thing the world needs. Anybody see that happening? Anybody ever felt that way? You guys, man, it was so cool in your uh, young adult Bible study last week. You had a lady come in after listening and infiltrate and say, if I had my way, I'd have you arrested. (laughs) What did that make you feel like? Yeah, we're doing the right thing. But again, the world's trying to beat us down. He said, man, don't be ashamed, but let him who's being insulted and suffering as a Christian glorify God. As it's a privilege. Isn't that what the apostles said when they were being beaten? When they were being persecuted? You know, a polycarp. I'm not worthy to die like this, man. This is really cool how I get to go out. A lot of people just, dude, they just go out in their sleep. When <laughs> they have a plug pulled or something, dude. I get to go out like a martyr, man. I get to go out in flames. I get to go out. He's like, what a privilege. Now, I'm not being sadistic. But he's saying, what a privilege for God to let me identify with, an, with Christ in such a way, do you know not every believer matures enough to be able to dig that? Yes, sir. And if you're not there, and if you never get there, God doesn't really put you in that position. It's a privilege when God lets you be used mightily in your death. You don't believe me? Go read about every one of the New Testament characters and most of the prophets. Isaiah, how did Isaiah die, you guys? Anybody know? Anybody? Dude, they sawed him in two. (laughs) You know? He's the only guy I know that that's happened to. (laughs) All right? Because God said, I can use that. He said, man, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. It's the only right motivation in glorifying God for everything. And it's a privilege to do it in that name. And if you're following, he gives you the grace to be able to do that. Next, he says, be purified. He said, we've talked about this in great detail before. He said, it's time for judgment to begin where? So if there's judgment, where is he going to start? In the household of God. Why is he going to start with believers? What has happened to the church, even through Corona and everything? Has the church gotten stronger or the church gotten weaker? It is stronger because you either quit And back out because it's not comfortable enough. Or you realize all our other gods are gone and I need the real God. And you sell out to them. Morgan, you seen that? You seen people want the gospel now because they want a real God? Yeah. And I'm so awed by all of you guys sharing the gospel and offering that real God. But the only reason they want it from you, Morgan, is because they see it in your life. They don't want talk. They want to see it. And he said, Man, it's time for judgment to get at the household of God. In fact, I'm going to wean the church out. I'm going to get rid of all these mamby-pamby Christians because they're not going to come. They're not going to. I'm not talking about coming to church only. Man, they're not going to live for Christ. They're, gonna, they're only going to do it when it's favorable. You remember the parable of the sower? Go back and read the parable of the sower. Man, their life got crowded out. They needed Christ at some point, but then all the weeds grew up and they were crowded out and couldn't serve them. Other ones, man, the sun beat down and scorched them. So when persecution came, they ditched God. They only did it when it was convenient. When it comes down, you know what persecution does to the church? It grows the church. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Every time God wants revival and he gets a lukewarm church, man, he sends persecution to grow the real church. If you want to be a part of it, you can. He he wants to give you that grace. So he says, man, this judgment's going to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us. You know, we have this persecution now, but hey, when we die, Chrissy, when we die, what's it like? Heaven. (laughs) When When we die, it's perfection. So we have a tough time now, but perfection later. Again, the world may have an easier time. Lukewarm people who aren't believers really may have an easier time now, but what's their eternity like? Horrible. He said, let this suffering make you not love this world, but look for the next world and also take people with you, which is what he goes into. He says, for the time of judgment is beginning at the household of God to show people what real Christianity looks like. And it begins with us. So if God's been persecuted, if God is allowing some things in your life, he's only trying to make you look more like him and bring him glory. He said, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of Christ? You know anyone who dies without Christ goes to hell. So our persecution right now is nothing compared to what their persecution will be like in hell, which brings us to our almost last point. He says, be selfless in this. And if... The righteousness is scarcely, if the righteous are scarcely saved or difficult or unwilling to be saved. Hey, did you wake up one morning? How many of y'all are saved? See your hand. Did you wake up one morning and say, dude, I'm just going to get saved. Yeah, I think I'm going to quit being who I am and be a new person. I want to be born again. Well, if you did, it was only because God gave you that desire and ability. No one seeks him. There's no righteous, not one. You were difficult to save. You were. How many of y'all thought, dude, no, I was easy. Come on, man. I was one of God's best candidates. I was a peace cat. I've been saved my whole life. No, you haven't. <laughs> you were all difficult to save because the desire wasn't in you. He had to put that desire in you. And so when he goes, if the righteous are difficult to save, what is going to become? What is the penalty for the ungodly and the sinner who never gets saved? That's why we as a church have to become a rescue boat. And not a cruise ship. And I see it changing. I've lived through the whole church growth movement where, where the church, people who go to a certain church, go because it's the most comfortable. They have the best seats. They have the best timing. They, 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 they have everything on. They have a rock wall for the kids, for goodness sake. And I can't say nothing because, dude, we had a bounce house, didn't we? But that bounce house was punishment sometimes, huh? Man, we, dude, it was a cruise ship. And as a pastor on staff, all we were doing in staff meetings wasn't thinking about how we were going to increase the kingdom. We were thinking about how we could make you comfortable so we wouldn't lose you to another church. Because that was the reason you were coming for a lot of the people. Not you guys, but other people who went to the church. (laughs) It was a cruise ship. But man, Drift was a rescue boat. We're out there, we're out in the world, and we're out rowing. And we have a life raft called a life ring called Christ. And what I love so much about you guys, I don't that a day goes by that I don't hear about at least one of you, if not many of you, throwing that life ring called Christ to somebody and saying, jump on. I, that's I've got me in this boat. Jump on. And I'm hearing about people doing that. And you guys are doing it, and that's called revival. Man, we gotta be selfless. It's not about us in a cruise ship, it's about us in a rescue ship, a rescue boat. Rescue boat, Tim, do you ever get picked up in rescue? Okay. Terry, do you ever get picked up in rescued? rescue? Were you ever in rescue boats? Well, I ran a rescue boat. You ran a rescue boat, you were in, yeah. So were things ever kind of, what if you rescued somebody? I mean, you know, the whole helicopter, they got dropped down and, and they're like, it's a little, you think you can warm it up a little in here? hey, I don't really like chicken soup, especially artificial. It's gluten-free. Is this free range, you know. I know what you do. You'd punch them and knock them out so they'd be quiet, right? I'm just saying, dude. It's like, was it all about comfort in the rescue boat? No, because somebody who was rescued saw all the comfort they needed, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Selfless. Dude, I'm glad to be alive. I'm glad to be rescued. Look at the the last one. This is the last one. This is a key buzzword. How many of you go to a store, go somewhere these days, and the last thing some cashier or somebody says is this? Be safe. Everybody heard this? Everybody say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Be safe. How many of you have heard that? You're going to hear it today. The waitress, whatever. Be safe. Be safe. And the world has such a whacked idea on what safety is because what is be safe? Safe is take care of all the precautions you need so that you don't Have what they consider to be a danger in this, but it's all temporal, it's all right now. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, it's a bad thing if you're not thinking about eternity. And that's when God's saying be safe, He's like, Be safe, look what He says, and I I finish, I promise. (laughs) Therefore, so He went through all of these things to be, and I'll recount it again, real super quick for you, but He said, Therefore, because you're gonna do, you're gonna be all these things, therefore. Let those who suffer according to God's will. So you're going to suffer according to God's will. He said, entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You know the best way to be saved? Be saved. (laughs) Because there's nothing the world can do to you outside of God's will. The worst they can do is kill you and you end up with Christ. How many of y'all believe? True? Do you have the guts to raise your hand to say, yeah? When I die and I get to heaven because I have Christ, I'm going to hate it there. Anybody raise your hand and say that? I was having hard enough to raise your hand on that stuff, but nobody. Nobody's going to die and say, man, I really, God, can I go back to earth and finish some things? Can I go back to earth and see how this all works out? Can I go back? No. The worst they can do is kill us if you've got Christ. So he says, therefore, let those who suffer, look at this, according to God's will. Now, again, not for being a murderer, not for being a meddler. (laughs) No, everything in between. He said, according to God's will. Look at this word, entrust. It literally means to deposit. It's like the bank. Hey, how many of you ever put money in the bank? Did you ever bring cash and give it to the teller? Mm -hmm. You ever done that? Okay, And, and what's the agreement you have when you put that money in the bank? You're going to get it back, right? Has there ever, has there ever been a, a doubt where you put it in and you're like, okay, you know what? Now, have I really, am I going to get this back? What are you going to do with this? Well, Are you putting this in the vault? Or are you doing, uh, do you have any questions that you're going to get it back? No, you trust. You put the money in, and the deal is you're going to get it back. It's going to be kept safe. That's the actual technical term that this Greek word comes from. When you entrust your soul to Christ... It's there for safekeeping. There's no safer place for it to be. So the safest place you can be is not determined by anything other than the will of God. And figuring out where you're supposed to be right now doing what. That's where your safety comes. And it means different things for different people. And for some of you, it may mean sitting in a bubble that's isolated. For a little while, it may mean you going to... To, to Africa in the middle of a cholera outbreak. But you've got to be where he wants you to be. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust, deposit for safekeeping their what? Yeah. You notice he didn't say your body. He didn't care about your body. No, I'm not saying he doesn't care about your body. But it's about your soul because that's what's going to live forever. Remember if you went and dug somebody up at the cemetery. You buried. Yeah, there's not much left your soul, and look who it's entrusted to. Look at the word Peter uses, and we're done. To a faithful, faithful, that means he's gonna do what he promised, and look at the word creator. What do you think of, this is the only time in the New Testament he's called the creator. When you think of creator, what do you think of? Why, Why would he use a word like creator? What do you think of when you think of the creator? Made everything. Made everything, so if you need anything, what's he gotta do? Have you gone to Walmart lately, or one of the stores, Target, and it's like, dude, they're still out of that? (laughs) <laughs> there's toilet paper at least, all right? But man, no way, there's no water. There's no, if God needs it, he makes it. So you're never gonna be without whatever you need. He's, Peter chooses to say he's the faithful creator. He's a trusted provider, but that's while you're doing good. If you're out murdering and thieving and meddling, guess what, you're on your own. <laughs> but if you're doing what's good, you're good to go. So what are you going to be when the big one hits? What are you going to be when it all changes? When anything comes into your life, comes into the country, comes into the world, what are you going to be? I want to encourage you to be ready and rejoicing. Be comforted and be careful. Be proud and be purified. And be selfless and be safe. Because you've trusted your life to Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. And Father, I don't know what's coming. Maybe just something in somebody's life. It may be something huge. We don't know, Father, but we don't have to worry because it's all under your control. But whatever is coming, Father, I pray that we'd be ready for it and we'll be surprised. I pray that we would rejoice because we know what it's going to accomplish. We would be comforted because we would rely on your Holy Spirit to bring that comfort to us. We'd be careful that we're not persecuted for things that just being a jerk, but it would be for being a Christian. Father, I pray we would never feel ashamed for suffering for you, but we'd be proud, and we would be purified by the suffering. But Father, we are set for life, so I pray it would always be selfless and be about leading others to you, letting them see what a kingdom child looks like, letting them experience what an ambassador of God is like. And I pray for our safety, and our safety is found in where you want us to be found. And I pray for you.